Two Nerds and a Joke with Robert and Ernie. Thanks, disembodied hot girl voices. Two Nerds and a Joke with Robert and Ernie. I'm Ernie. And I am Robert, the board game lover. Um, this, this one's kind of for me, Ernie, as you know. I am a big fan of, of board games. And today we have someone on the line with us that are is a creator, developer of a new board game. Uh, his name is Alex. And along with his team, he's built a very fun game. Um, and um, Alex, give an intro to yourself and an intro to this uh, very exciting game. Absolutely. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Ernie. Uh, I'm Alex, and I am the game designer behind Dogs Bond. Um, Dogs Bond is the game for two to six players, and everyone takes on the role of a rescue dog, collecting the attributes that they need to be adopted into forever homes. So it's a wholesome, kind of feel-good game. Um, and at the end, everybody has a happily ever after. There is a winner in a top dog based on points, but we do celebrate every uh, adoption with uh, with a fun reveal at the end for everybody. So yeah, that's that's me. Happy to be here. Oh, nice. Glad to have you on board. Um, I don't, you'll be our, our first time into this foray. So uh, you have to forgive us if we don't have a lot of like depth and knowledge on interviewing uh, game designers, <laughs> so to speak. That's all right. No, Is it something that like when you talk about like, you know, because we all like games and we all like think, oh, I can come up with like a really fun game. How did, how did all this like come up? Uh, I, your audio cut out there just for a minute, but I think I got the question. So um, I was inspired to make this game because, uh, frankly, my family and I didn't have a game that could appeal to a range of ages. Um, I have two nephews and a niece, and their age ranges are, you know, about nine to fifteen. Uh, you know, then plus myself uh, and the family. So. You know, we were trying to find a game that could appeal to that broad of a range. Uh, I thought games like Apples to Apples would work where, you know, you just saying things that are like things. Um, but it was hard because the younger one didn't have the context and uh, any younger games, um, you know, the 15-year-old the would just look at me like, please don't make me play this. So I worked on a game uh, that could span more like a generational appeal. Um, it has, you know, lots of different elements like set collection, hand management, and a lot of strategy. But it's also a gateway game for people coming back to board games. Um, you know, children learning how to match sets and colors and take turns. So, um, you know, it was really interesting challenge for for me to take on. And then my work with rescues, or I volunteer with rescues in my local area. Um, you know, just wanting to put in into perspective, the conversation about rescue and adoption of, of dogs and combining my, you know, volunteerism with my board game nerdism, uh, you know, you get dogs bond. <laughs> nice. And it, it's one of the exciting things I see is it's really now. Okay. First and foremost, did you the art for all of the figures and the characters and the game boards and all that, or did you have someone do that with you? Did you work together? Oh, yes. Um, so I am terrible at art. And uh, <laughs> no, I was very fortunate. I reached out to the wild, wild internet. And I said, dear internet, please find someone who would be willing to work on this project with me. And, 
you know, I, I demonstrated some of the art that I could do. And immediately the internet said, oh, good gravy, do not let this man do his own artwork. So uh, 50 different artists worldwide applied for the job, for, for the work, and wow. uh, got to interview people from the UK, from Sweden, from China, uh, you know, but at the end of the day, uh, it really came down to um, the best pick that I could have made in Sarah Mills, our illustrator, and uh, her best friend in a graphic designer, Kiki. And we all together went through and we're dog people, we're dog lovers, we're gamers. And we um, really using my kind of game mechanics and the titles of the cards and the motion and kind of flow of the game, we were able to give Sarah a scene to really paint. And then we also had to had a really strong graphic design to frame it all up to give it that cohesive look that you see today. Nice. So that that definitely you definitely I definitely made a great choice. I'm I'm looking at uh, for those of you who want to see the visuals that I'm seeing, um, go ahead and go to dog bond dogsbondgame.com. That's dogs with an s bondgame.com. And if you go to the how to play the game, there's some great graphics of it. Looks like there's at least um, four characters you can play, maybe six, hard to tell, kind of kind of mm -hmm. not showing the picture I see, and about six to eight different dogs you can choose from at least. Mm -hmm. um, and then basically the strategy of it, if, if I have it correct, is basically to pick the attributes and basically build points based on those attributes. Yep, you got it in one. All right, yay. Um, so I play a lot of different types of games. Um, I don't know if it... Um, like Magic the Gathering, a lot of card games, and a lot of strategy games um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. from D&D, &D, et cetera, et cetera. Is this a flexible game where you could play it multiple times to a point where, you know, you'll have enough rotation in the characters and the point, keep it a fun game to play every couple of days, every week or whatever it is, you know, do a mini tournament, if you will, of dog rescue. <laughs> I mean, I certainly find it fun enough to do that, um, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and I find it interesting that depending on whom I'm playing with, my play style will evolve. Um, the different character dogs, uh, playable dogs that you can be also affect kind of, you know, how you play. We do have special powers, special abilities that are varied among the dogs. So that gives, um, you know, kind of its own different variability, replayability. Um, also, the end condition changes. So, um, you know, unlike, uh, you know, a, a roll, roll chance type of game where you just mm -hmm. have to get to the end spot to win um, right. or bankrupting your friends in, uh, in other, you know, games that celebrate real estate, um, you know, <laughs> Dog's Bond is about really finding the right match. Um, and that can sometimes happen in unexpected places. And the humans that are coming to adoption day, those are also shuffled. Right. So mm -hmm. there's not a like best adopter all the time. It's not always, you know, Alex, the game designer, who's the best person to adopt a dog. Right. It's going right. to switch. It's going to be, you know, uh, different characters uh, that are looking for different things. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, it definitely has that, you know, design in the design, that replayability and that variability so that, um if you do, you know, the more times you play, kind of the more your strategy will evolve, but also to whom you're playing with will also be able to change that. So, um, yeah, it, it's, I think it has that replayability for sure. And because it only takes between, well, it's, it's targeted to be about 15 minutes per player 
and it plays up to six. So generally speaking, you're going to have like, you know, a 45, maybe 60 minute experience. And it's just perfect for when you're waiting for your friends, you know, to all get there for your D&D session, or, you know, you need a palate cleanser, you know, in between Magic the Gathering rounds, drafting, you know, Friday Night Magic, that sort of a thing. So um, that's all, all in the design. And, you know, that's exactly the kind of person I am too. You know, um, I love playing games and, uh, and I'll play games in between playing games. <laughs> no, I totally, I totally get that. Uh, I'm probably the same way. Like I can't be just stuck on like one type of game. So like for a while I'll go through phases of like, maybe I'll play like an adventure game, like on a console, or maybe I, you know, go on PC and play a game or break out an old classic game for like family game night. I have mm-hmm. a, I have a young, young daughter. Uh, she's nine and we, you know, I introduced her to some of the, the games like the connect four, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and moving up through like the old Parker brothers nights. Sure. So, um, so when you, when you stack, when you stack those things up and you look at them and with your game, um, do you feel when you're watching other people play it, do you kind of see like the, like the awe and like the smiles come up on their faces when they're like in mid game and they're getting all amped up? like like how you feel as being the designer absolutely and sometimes it doesn't take you till mid game usually by about round three you know how to play um it's a pretty simple game mechanic where you draw an event card and then it's you know you follow the instructions that are on that card if you are instructed to draw a card you draw an attribute and if you're instructed to play a card you play from your you play from your paw right dogs don't have hands they have paws so um you know that's all part of it um, and then, you know, one of the fun things, you know, if for your younger daughter for who's nine, you know, one of the best parts about this game is that I really focused on how to animate the player, right? So one of the questions that I hate during game night is, are you done with your turn or is it my turn, right? And so the way that I change that is there's a rope toy, which is a wooden meeple in our case, but it's a rope toy that you pass to the next player to get to make sure that they you know know that they're the active player but everyone at the table barks when it's being passed so you know right that it's time for you to play that the game is moving on and everyone's barking together it's a really fun way to animate the player and uh you know whether you're nine or 90 it's just a fun way to make sure everyone stays in the game and that's kind of funny too, because it's like you, you gotta love. Because I have a thirteen-year-old and a fifteen-year and an eighteen-year-old. God, um, <laughs> getting older before my eyes. So I know for a fact it is a real challenge, as you kind of mentioned earlier on, to find a game that will engage them both mm-hmm. on, on a level that they both can understand. Because my thirteen-year-old, well, they're a great gamer in a lot of respects. They have some challenges with like a lot of heavy reading and strategy games, kind of go over their heads sometimes a little bit mm-hmm. they're decent but they, they just have that they, they're a little bit slower when it comes to that kind of thing where mm-hmm. my 18 year old is like strategy is nothing to him he's he's gonna figure it out and he's gonna go right for the gold on that he, mm-hmm. he, he has to have the most devious thing and blah 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 <laughs> right so it sounds like what you found here is a way that it is kind of a randomized point you know because you're shuffling things up and you're going through the, the different motions of collecting the right attributes quote unquote mm-hmm. to get to your end your end game you know uh, forever home, if you will. So it does match that kind of both thesis. There is a little bit of strategy. It doesn't take on an intense amount of reading, but it definitely gets the the flow going for the multi generational gap. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, let me ask the big question, of course, because, you know, we love getting ahead of ourselves in this type of uh, gaming world. Is this something that you foresee coming out with expansion packs with new sets of dogs or new sets of owners in the future? Do you have a, a game plan down the road for those pieces? Absolutely. You've hit the nail on the head. Um, <laughs> we were able to, you know, through our Kickstarter, which funded in September, we were able to put together not not only the original six dogs, but an additional two dogs. So there are eight playable character dogs, and we were able to expand the number of uh, event cards so that the game support now supports six players. Um, as soon as we put together the first eight dogs, immediately everyone says, hey, where's my dog? Where's my, my favorite breed? You know what dog you need? Um, and th that amount of, you know, outpouring of support for us to add additional dogs is great because I know that what this means is that people are going to have an appetite for for those expansions for those additional uh, dog breeds to be featured um, you know and, and additional humans uh, to be to be uh, joining into the adoption day so absolutely I want to do expansions um, you know there are many many dog breeds out there uh, we have the first eight, primarily because these are the breeds that I've had the most experience with. So I was comfortable designing their special abilities and kind of how they interact in the game. Um, you know, kind of as an example, my wife has a uh, Jack Russell Terrier. His name is Smudge. And Smudge loves going in the garbage. And so for, his, for the special power for the Jack Russell Terrier, uh, instead of drawing from the attributes pile, you may draw from the top of the discard pile because you're dry, you know, digging in the garbage. And that's my homage to Smudge, you know? And uh, that's, that's how I knew, you know, what his special ability could be and, and how to design around that. Um, additional dogs like Huskies or Pitbulls definitely have some, you know, kind of drawing board designs for it. And all we need is, you know, we got the kickstart to make the game. All we need is, you know, every dog lover to have a copy of this game and we'll be happy. We would, we would just absolutely be die happy uh, adding additional dogs into this game. What, uh, you know, I, I was just thinking about this now. So when, you, when you're doing all this and you're thinking all these things through and hearing it now it seems like everything just like fell into place was there a point in time when you when something was just so challenging that you didn't know how you were going to do it but it came through for you on this <laughs> absolutely um my favorite story about our project uh where you know we had that aha moment is when uh kiki our graphic designer joined the joined the team and we were trying to figure out the uh, and basically the, the, the point tracking system. Initially, I had designed kind of this like, you know, board that would be in the center of the table that would fold out not once, but twice. You know those games, right? They, they have the big boards. And, right, um, yeah. you know, you have the, and then basically your, your dog token would approach the house to be adopted into the home, right? And it was just massive board. And you had to kind of do like, accounting in your head, there was multipliers. Frankly, it was messy. And when Kiki came in to the project, she kind of looked at what we were trying to achieve 
she then broke out the board. So now the boards, instead of being this like, you know, gonna take over your whole table, they're just these super slick four by seven cards that feature the adopters. And then, and the math is actually listed out and done for you. So because we're a set collection game, you need to collect one health and two obedience. Well, it's listed there for you. And then you go up in greater bond level with that adopter, the more times you have that set. So level one is one health, two obedience. The next set is two health, four obedience, right? And it goes up and up and up. And the way that, you know, she created the graphic design to empower and enable very clear gameplay, that was the aha moment. And frankly, I had been struggling with this for probably two years. <laughs> and she solved it, you know, basically when she listened to, you know, the game and thinking about like what the designs would be and how it would look, we just broke it up and we said, hey, what about this? And uh, that was a real win for us. So, so if I understand it correctly, then you had a designer who did your art, right? And you had a designer who kind of designed the gameplay. You were kind of the key of, you know, here's the thing I want to create. So kind of give me a, a, a more detailed view than what I just gave because mine was, was <laughs> bull crap. I'm sure 90% of, of how all these people that you found came together, right? Because it's not just a one person job, right? Yep. We are a small team, mighty three people. <laughs> um, so I am the game designer. I came up with the gameplay, the game mechanics, the um, you know the statistics, the math kind of behind all of the actions, as well as you know um, you know borrowing from some of my favorite games, uh, you know kind of those lessons about how to engage the player. Uh, one of our um, you know advisors on the project, really, his name is Dan Klitzner. He invented a thing called the Boppet. And he asked me, you know, what are you doing to involve the player? What are you doing to animate the player? How do they get up? How do they wag their own tail? And I said, you know what? I think we can do this. And that's how we came up with the barking. Um, but yeah, so my job was uh, around the game design, the game development, right? Uh, Sarah, our illustrator, super talented. And Honestly, through her skill, we are able to be a very art forwards project. If you check, if you take a look at any of our materials, it's pretty art forward. Dogs, you know, dogs in the lead. Um, and so she illustrated all of the scenes that I kind of asked her for. Um, but there was a lot of agency, a lot of decision making that she had to do as an art director to say, you know what, the angle of the dog needs to be this way, the angle of the shot, the composition of the image illustration that we're going to produce is going to be just so right and then kiki our graphic designer she is the one who made all the decisions really that blend the art world the uh gameplay and mechanics world so she came up with like our art uh or, or kind of the color language the design language fonts you know things that allow you to kind of already know hey in a game this is what this needs to be right or this is what the you know this icon means this in the game um, and so she created and designed all that and really kind of brought that all together so that's the three of us have you uh have you had a chance to like work with anybody else like in the uh in the game industry um like 
like you said, the, the inventor of the bop, it gave you some sound advice. Mm-hmm. Have you had that feeling where like people who are in this industry are like out to help one another? Or is it like any other type business type where it's like, you know, I need to like get a leg up on my competition? <laughs> yeah. Um, what really surprised me is how welcoming, inviting, collaborative and community-driven the board game industry really is. I can reach out to another game designer and say, hey, how did you do this? And they'll tell me. I can reach out to um, you know, a board game marketer and say, hey, saw you do this cool thing. Um, do you think we can do one? And they'll say, yes, absolutely. The thing that impresses me most about the board game community and industry is that there's always room for one more game. People want to see your game. Um, unlike, you know, other like, I don't know. I, I work in I work in uh, Silicon Valley, right? And so there's always like that that desire to be the app, the you know device that people use, yeah. and it's very cutthroat and secretive, right? And um, you know, you've got NDAs up and down the wall. Like when I first started the game uh, and working with Sarah and Kiki, uh, you know, I'd worked on the game for about two years. And at that time, I said, look, I, I need somebody to help breathe life into this project, make it, make it fun visually, because it's already fun mechanically, but that's not coming across to a 10-year-old, right? And so we really worked on that very hard. Um, and Sarah and Kiki asked me, you know, do we need to sign an NDA, right? A, a non-disclosure agreement. Mm-hmm. Right. And I said, no. In fact, I want you to sign up to talk about the game all the time. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. we're a small team, uh, you know, and frankly, the more people that know about it, uh, the better. And and even if somebody else comes up with another game about rescue dogs and dog adoption, it's going to be different than Dogs Bond. You know, and and that's okay. I welcome that. You know, and 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 so that is a very very good question. But it's also too uh, just such a delightful and different answer because the board game industry really truly is very welcoming. Which is nice to know for like creators to come into it because it, mm-hmm. it can be. And you're right, very competitive out there. I mean, like it, there's even a slight difference. As I mentioned earlier, I play Magic. It, you know, the card game industry is very competitive as mm-hmm. compared to the board game because the card game also has that dark side to it, which is the collectability of the actual cards right. themselves. Very mm-hmm. big. I mean, it's. I mean, it depends. I mean, like I know people who you know are trying to make a living out of selling the cards that are really expensive and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And you don't have to really worry about that in the same way in board game world, because it doesn't matter. You know, mm-hmm. the biggest thing is like what you had a design was like the actual components, like the physical pieces to it. That's where mm-hmm. the expense comes to. Right. And that's where the price point of the game comes is from the actual individual pieces. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so for you, it seems you kept those fairly like, really nice quality but fairly simple so it's easy to kind of pack up make it go there's no little figurines to collect there's no little tokens it's it's kind of big and colorful and chunky you know like like you hold it in your hand kind of really substance right yeah definitely definitely Um, we wanted to make sure that you know your younger family members can play you know and and enjoy the game with you 
Um, even if they can't read the game, you know, very classically, right? You'll have a young child sitting on somebody's lap who is, you know, going to be involved. And I, I play tested it. In fact, I design tested it with young mothers and fathers playing with their kids. And I said, okay, I want you to bring your kid to the play test. And they would say, you know, isn't that going to be distracting? And I'm like, but this is a real life test, right? When you're thinking about a game that's meant for the family, is mom or dad who's taking care of the kid who has to walk away for, you know, 10 minutes and comes back, are they going to be completely lost in lost on where the game is? And then you come back in and it's like, oh, well, I don't know what's going on. Or are we going to be able to pick up from where we left off, you know, and, and truly have it as the game that's out and you're playing, um, you know, as you wait for Christmas dinner, you know, mm-hmm. and that was, per, that was specific and intentionally designed that, yes, I, I wanted that. No, and that makes sense too, because again, you know, you have to choose your audience for these types of games, right? For yeah. any game, really, you have to figure out who who you're going to target, where you want to go with. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, you you want it to be family. You set it up for as a family type style game. Mm-hmm. You definitely have a diversity in both dog species and people. Um, mm-hmm. You know, different ethnicities, different backgrounds, different setup with that. Um, at least as far as what the cards I see, mm-hmm. is that also very intentional in your design, or was something you like? you know what, we should do this as well. Kind of an afterthought of, it's all about the dogs, but let's diversify the people too. Why not? Was that kind of both at the same time or did you kind of just throw that in there? No, that was that was pretty intentional. So, so I myself, so I'm an Asian American game designer, which is, I think I know of about four of us. Um, you know, and then my family growing up, uh, my best friend uh, in high school, I, I basically, you know, I grew up with the with his kids, or excuse me, his kids grew up with me. They lived with me for a little while, and so you know these nieces, my nephews and niece, like I love them to pieces, and they're African American, right? And so I look at all these games, and I look around, and I'm like, you know, there's not really an archetype that demonstrates persons of color. So I said, okay, well, let's go ahead and put that in. And then I looked around and I said, you know what, there's, there's not really um, as many like even number women to men in these games. So let's go ahead and put that in. Um, gender fluidity, we have a non-binary adopter, right? So like, go ahead, put that in. And, and so that was very intentional. When I went and, when I went and built out kind of my, my scope document, my expectations with many of the artists, I had to ask them, are you comfortable drawing persons of different ethnicities? And I got a lot of no's, right? I got, you know, because um, I went I went to, as an example, I went to a really large um, anime convention uh, local to me uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area. And I said, hey, I love what you're doing. The fabrics, the textiles, the, the weight of the materials. Like, I love, you can draw dogs, you can draw cats. Mm-hmm. Would you be able to draw for me? And they said, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry. Like, as far as human faces go, I have one human face and you can have blonde, black or red hair. And I said, oh, <laughs> okay. well, that's not gonna work for this game. Right. <laughs> particularly because uh, multiple things, right? I wanted to have that diversity and representation in the game so that when you open it, right? You can say, hey, I know that person or that person's like me, right? That was really important for me. Mm-hmm. And then the other component was I didn't want to say there is a specific best person who will adopt a dog. I didn't want to say that 
you know, an Asian American game designer is the best person to adopt a dog. So they're always 10 points, right? And then, you know, nine points is someone else, eight points is someone else. So that also too forced me to include that variability and that replayability in the game and that the adopters will show up at different, uh, will show up all at once, but in different positions and give you different points but then again, it gives you a unique game experience every single time you play. When, uh, when you look at the landscape and you see other board games and how popularity kind of pushes them into the, uh, into the interwebs, so to mm-hmm. speak, and become like digital, um, is there still like a part of you that wants to like hold off on that? Or is it something like you want to like make that an option, kind of like how the the bigger card companies like Pokemon, how they went digital with their Pokemon Go. Would, would you ever envision yourself like bringing this concept to that point? I would be happy uh, to make a digital version of Dogs Bond. I think there's, there's a couple of challenges, right? Um, one is like actually programming an opponent that would make any kind of sense. Like I just don't have the programming skills, the logic skills. There's a lot of decisions that you like strategic decisions and micro decisions that you make during the game um, that affect gameplay. So it would take in my limited experience, a lot of effort to, to make it digital. The other component there is, you know, things like uh, tools like Tabletop Simulator, Tabletopia, Board Game Arena, you know, there are definitely options and, and opportunities for us to put into a virtual landscape just the component pieces. But how do you teach the game? How do you like enforce rules, right? Otherwise, it's just components on a table, on a virtual table. So um, if we can solve these problems, um, I absolutely would bring Dogs Bond to the virtual realm. Um, so that it can ple- be played, you know, at a distance. Um, but I think that my my heart is telling me that I would like it to still be, you know, the game that you bring to game night, the game that you bring to family night. And, you know, if you want, you know, if you're missing your dog or you need a dog fix, have our board game. We've got eight dogs. It can sit under the table while you eat, right? <laughs> Everything there. So, um, <laughs> No, and that makes that makes a lot of sense. So I want to ask a completely random question, but I feel it kind of gets gets us the core of you rather than just you, the game maker, you, the person, right? So, so name a show, a TV or movie show, a TV TV or movie show. You see that, Ernie? See how my language is working today? <laughs> um, oh boy! <laughs> we'll edit that out. Well, well maybe it, it'll make it. Who knows? We <laughs> don't know. You never know. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, we'll fix it in post. Yeah. We'll fix it in post, like everything else we do. Um, name a movie or TV show that you have not watched. That everybody else is watching, and you're like, you know what? That's great, but it's just not me. Current show or like an ever? Ever. Um. I have never watched Breaking Bad. I have never watched uh, Schitt's Creek. <laughs> I haven't watched Schitt's Creek either, so you're yeah. fine there. You're good. You're good to go. I've never watched. <laughs> I've never watched The Office, either U.S. or U.K. <sighs> really? Really? Oh, that's an ouch. That's yeah. an ouch. <laughs> wow. Well, I will tell you what else because you're you're okay because here's here's why. First off, Breaking Bad. 
it it was a good show, but it takes a certain certain type of personality early and get into it. And I will tell you this: until my son begged me to watch The Office, I hadn't watched it until this past year. Oh wow! Okay. So I I'm with you there. Mm-hmm. Now let me ask you this: What about you? Do you feel kind of steers you away from the breaking universe, the Office universe, that kind of stuff? What what kind of pulled you away from that in your mind? Uh. I mean, Breaking Bad, I've just never had the time, like, frankly, when it was on. Mm. Um, the Office definitely had the time. Um, but, <laughs> I, but I work in that environment. So my day job is management consulting, program management in an office. So I watch TV to go see other things. Get a little from- bit of escapism, yeah. <laughs> and so watching The Office... And also, too, because it's pretty spot on, I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't stomach it. It was like it was like watching just like w- it was just like watching work just louder. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's probably part of the reason why I didn't watch it until now, because I did the same thing. I worked in an office and it was very much that way. And now I switched to the educational world. Well, it has some of the same things. It's a lot less people-oriented. Even though it's a school, you're kind of isolated. Oh, I'm sorry, Rob. I've lost you on audio. In technology myself, but you really don't – watching something that's about people connecting, you're like, well, that is different than my real life now. I'm kind of <laughs> isolationist, which I'm kind of surprised by you because you're saying that you were in the software realm, but you didn't you, – you did interact with a lot of people in an office in that scenario. Uh, sorry, Rob. You cut out on audio there from me like multiple times. Sorry, I'll go back. Um, so for you, it was about getting away, getting away from people in what you watch, rather than reconnecting with people, because you did that enough in your real life. Yeah, I, I think it was just that the stories were, you know, things that you know I see in my own life, and right. um, you know, while they, while the office is a particular type of embarrassment humor. Mm. Um, Funny boohoo, not funny haha. If this right. makes any sense, mm-hmm. right? And um, yeah, and I, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I enjoy my job. I enjoy my coworkers. But I just got it. I had enough of it, you know. And I mm-hmm. didn't need it as my, you know, wind down show or anything else. So no, yeah, that's, that's what steered me away. So, so here's here's how it connects to to your game because mm-hmm. obviously something in that right, you needed that escapism from your your real life right mm-hmm. so how long into your job or into your life did you start with the dogs did you start with the dog rescue which of course leads to the game so <laughs> how did you escape quote unquote into the world of animals because well they're not people <laughs> yeah um huh i've never that's a great question i've never <laughs> thought of it from that particular angle so I remember in fourth and fifth grade, I worked with Guide Dogs for the Blind in San Rafael, uh, which is in near the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, and then growing up in like high school, like I worked at a rescue like once or twice, you know, volunteer days, that sort of a thing. Um, and then college, you know, um, I was living with, uh, you know, living with friends, you know, you take turns doing chores and, and, and um, activities. So I asked a roommate, you know, hey, can you go get groceries? And she came back with a dog. So that was my exposure <laughs> to a dog, <laughs> um, you know, and, and so I had to train the dog and, you know, do, do all that stuff. Um, 
Yeah, I don't, I'm trying to think about, you know, here, here's the better answer. And hopefully you can edit out my mumbling and rambling. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of my favorite icebreaker questions at the office is what would you do if you didn't have to work for money? Mm. It's a great question that you ask your colleagues. And so many people say, I would work in nonprofit and specifically animal rescue, right? People just say this, right? And so for me, I've always had it as kind of my, um, my mission, my, my uh, nonprofit, nonprofit, my cause, there it is, mm. um, you know, that I would select when, you know, they're like, hey, we're going to donate, you know, $50 if, you know, we'll match up to $50 in a donation if you donate. So go ahead and pick your favorite nonprofit, you know, thing. And I would just look, you know, hey, do you have a rescue? Great. I'm going to pick the rescue. And so that's always been just kind of part of who I am and what I do. Um, and then, you know, recently I have been volunteering with rescues and, you know, in case you couldn't tell, I talk a lot. <laughs> and they always put me in front of the adopters, like the potential adopters who come to a rescue uh, adoption day event. And the biggest question that I would always get is, you know, hey, we're looking for a dog. I don't want it to shed. I want it to take me on walks. I want it to make my coffee and fold my laundry. And my response <laughs> to that is, have you thought about what you need to do? What changes you might need to make in your life to provide a stable and safe home for this animal. And people are like, wait, what? I gotta change my what? I just watched a movie. I saw a TV show where the dog was perfect. Just give me that one. Um, and so that, that probably inspired me most to make this game, to ask the player, hey, think about being a dog for a bit. Be the best dog you can be. Try to get adopted into a forever home. It's not super difficult, but also there are mitigating events that will make it difficult. And the purpose of that is to engender compassion, empathy um, into the player about the animals and hopefully be a positive change to the way we talk about rescue and adoption societally. So that's really kind of where it all comes from. Uh, and, you know, my office work, uh, I guess it really just enables, enabled me to do this project. Certainly the discipline that I have and that I take to projects um, helped me make this game. And so that's, that's how it marries it up. That's how it all marries up. See, I knew there was a connection. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. I do have a question for you though. And this was something that I wanted this to like be my like last question of you. Cause I want to have you back on. Cause there's so many other things I would like to talk to you about <laughs> on other, other similar subjects. Cool. But like, I want, I want to ask you, like, because you're involved in rescue animals, everything else, can you tell us, like, and it doesn't have to be a, a great detail or anything like that, but you can tell us the one time where you were able, where you were involved in adoption that it touched you so profoundly you, that you still remember it to this day? Hmm. Two answers. Um, the first one is like a really early exposure that I had to um, a rescue. Um, the rescue is called the Golden Gate Basset Rescue. Um, and they focus on, you guessed it, Basset Hounds. 
Yeah. And there was a um, there was a call because a puppy mill was being shut down. And they had to go rescue the basset hounds. And they thought that it was going to be, you know, hey, maybe it's going to be like five, maybe 10 dogs. There were 60 dogs. Six zero? Six oh, zero. Oh, my goodness. And that, you know, and, and they were in not tremendous conditions, right? So you're having to rehabilitate these dogs. You're trying to take them in, even just processing the dogs, you know, to figure out like what's going on. And the Golden Gate Basset Rescue is a volunteer-driven rescue. There's no municipal funds, no taxes going to them. It's all donations and fosters and volunteers. So that to me showed me that there is a, I mean, just the, the, the big heartedness that you have to have when you're in a rescue, but also too, to hear those type of like heartbreaking stories um, when you have such a big heart is just like, wow, how can I support these people how can i support this organization writ large even when i'm sleeping right and and that that kind of inspired me um the other one is i was working with another rescue the rescue the second story is a project or the, an adoption day that i worked on with the golden gate labrador retriever rescue and guess what they focus on labrador retrievers um Talking. and uh you know one of the animals that they had was being fostered in uh, you know, a city up north, probably 45 minutes away. And this animal hated car rides. Like we knew that, but the adoption fair was 45 minutes away from where the, where the animal was being fostered. So they had to drive the dog. The dog was really stressed out, really frustrated. And um, what we had to do was, you know, we just had to sit inside of the, of the like, you know, little pen, little crate that you have at the adoption fair and just have one person sit with the animal. And they were like, hey, you know, just be careful. She's the, the you know, her name was Cookie. Cookie's really skittish. She might nip at you. Like she's just, she might pee, like all these things. And yeah, for like the first like 30 minutes, the animal was, you know, just flustered. But after 30 minutes, the dog was like chilling out and fine with the human, the volunteer that was in the cage, in the, in the pen with her. And then when we took Cookie out on walks to like show people how Cookie would walk and like how Cookie would behave with potential adopters, Cookie was super fine, like just absolutely mellow and would check in with the adopter, meaning like you're walking along the street, Cookie would look back to make sure that that adopter was, was there or excuse me, the volunteer was there. And just knowing that 45 minutes with a dog can really change the way that they behave just by sitting with them, you don't have to do anything, right? Just goes to show, right? That it's like these animals in these situations can really blossom if you give them a chance. And so for me, those are my two stories about uh, where I've been involved or you know, groups that have inspired the game um you know the the golden gate basset rescue is actually in our kickstarter video i'm really proud of this they actually really supported our mission um so much that they were like yeah can we can we tell the story about dogs and i'm like yeah what better who better than yeah. an actual rescue 
to tell people that, hey, we've played this game. It totally makes sense. It focuses on the rescue and shelter world. Come play. So that's that's my story. And those are definitely some great stories. And as you said, Ernie, there is a ton more. We definitely want to come back and talk more to you, not only about board games, about dogs, about rescue. Um, we also want to try and see if we can get together with you and, and get some sort of mini game going so yeah. we can kind of experience this in real life, uh, if you will, virtually mm -hmm. um, these days. So I'm just impressed. What I want to be able to do is I know that the the real place to go to get all of the information on the game is the website. Is that correct? Correct. So we're going to put that in the chatter below. So please see the link. It is dogsbondgame.com, all one word, um, and check out the how to play. You can join the pack. Let us know, Alex. The big question, of course, when will this be ready to go? <laughs> when can people buy this off the shelf? So I know it's still in pre-order at the moment, right? Yep. We're still doing pre-orders through the end of March. And after that, we're going to zip it all up so that we can make sure we have all the addresses correct and things like that. Um, crossing fingers and toes and paws, um, you know, given the world situation and supply chain, we hope to be shipping the games in May of 2021 nice. and uh, on board game store shelves um, in May and June of 2021. That is awesome. That, and that's a great timeline too, because it's going to be, be a great timeline for people. Um, you know, if it's in May, you have Mother's Day. Everybody loves mm -hmm. dogs for Mother's Day. Come that's on, right. people. And then, of course, you're well in time for holiday seasons coming up after that. Absolutely. So that would be a lot of fun. So, And summer. Don't forget summer. I mean, yeah, we're kind of all stuck at home anyways, but summer is coming, and it's going to be even worse because yep. we well, love our kids. But <laughs> – Yeah, give them, give, them something to, uh, give them something to gnaw on. Give them something to play. <laughs> if you, um, <laughs> you know, and, and as, we, as we go back to – you know, being able to see one another and playing with one another. I mean, one of the best, one of the best pieces of news out of all this, you know, challenging 2020 has been that many dog rescues, animal shelters are empty, oh. right? And, and that's really, really great. And so when you're going and meeting with your friends and, you know, probably their new furry family member, uh, you know, be the hero, bring this game to game night and, uh, you know, show them all, right? So. absolutely well thank absolutely. you absolutely <laughs> well thank you so much alex for coming on we'd love to have you back again to, to talk more about the game um we definitely enjoy this i definitely am i'm a fan of everything you're doing here i'm a huge thank animal you. lover myself so i love it it's great, great stuff and i love games so you combine two of my favorite things Big bucket of wind for you there, pal. Big bucket of wind. <laughs> Big bucket. Um, Ernie, um, because we do want to make sure that we are being as humane as possible, we always give you the last word because that's the humane thing to do. Uh, <laughs> so if you will, we'll give you two paws up. If you will do for us the magic words, if you will, please. Peace out. Peace out, everybody. We will see you when we have our next game night. And that's another episode of Two Nerds and a Joke. Follow Robert and Ernie on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to their YouTube channel.